Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Stiegler, buddy. We on a Sunday night here. Got Sunday night football going on, and we had a uh, little bit of a rough Friday night. Is that fair to say? A little bit of a rough Friday. That is, that's fair to say. That's more than fair to say. Rough is a nice term to use for what happened Friday night. I've seen, I've seen shit games that might have been one of the top five worst shit games I've ever seen. And man, we've got a lot to unload tonight. Luckily, we had a full day to decompress, think about things. And I tell you, for me, if if my fantasy football team wasn't absolutely kicking ass today, thank you, Justin Herbert. Hey. Thank you, Tordale Patterson. Thank you, Nick <laughs> Between this on Friday night and these guys, where is it out here? San Francisco, just a few hours ago, losing to Colt fucking McCoy. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be in a little rager here, but thanks to fantasy football, not as bad. What about you? Well, my Colts took care of business on Thursday night, so I didn't have to worry too much about the, uh, the NFL side of things. Unfortunately, we all saw what the Hokies did on Friday night to follow it up. So, you know, we're, we're still feeling the, uh, the effects of that one. And we're going to go over, uh, quite a few things about that game tonight, fellas. Um, it was, it was one of those that like from the first drive, it just didn't feel right. And it went downhill from there. No, from the first drive, um, it didn't feel right at all. You know, we find out, you know, that Djokovic's back, but they're missing some pieces. You know, we find out about Trey, which we're going to get into about the press conference and what Pete Moore said today, because that's a hot button fucking topic right now. But let's let's start with the the one good piece. One good piece on the offensive side of the ball. Somehow, Raheem and Malachi both averaged over five yards a carry with, I think, the entire Boston College team in the box. Yeah, I mean, it was bad initially, but once Braxton went down, they knew we were running the ball and, uh, you know, we were still able to more or less keep the running game going, even if it was getting stifled uh, once we get into an area where, you know, they had to bow up a little bit. We were still moving the ball somewhat effectively on the running game. Um, it just, it, it, it wasn't something that we could go to enough um, to get first downs consistently because of the loaded boxes. Um, it, it It's, it's yeah. frustrating because if, if you had any semblance of a passing game to pair with what they've been doing, um, you know, we, we saw it especially against, you know, Georgia Tech, which I know yeah. that's still Georgia Tech. But if you can do anything with the passing game, you know, this running game can open up a little bit. But, you know, without that threat, I mean, it was it, it was tough going. It was very oh, tough yeah. going. And you know, only tw- we only had twelve first downs in the entire game. Twelve. We had a couple drives where we had six and eight plays, and we got eighteen and twenty four yards. 
that is pitiful. Um, and I tell you, total passing yard was 73. But you not tell me, Brian, was there like the pit of despair of we're not winning another – we might not be Duke. We might not be Duke. Yeah, um, I, I officially hit that when I when I saw what they were doing and I saw what we were unable to do. And, I mean, I know this is Boston College. They have a good uh, front, front six, um, good overall defense. Yeah. Um, but they're not elite by any stretch of the imagination. They're solid. They're solid. Um, you know, my, Miami's probably more athletic, probably less sound. Um, you know, we're still going to see two pretty bad defenses coming up with Duke and especially yeah. with UVA to, to close it out. But if we can't move the ball effectively, um, we're going to struggle in all three of these contests. And it's, it, it, it was evident, um, especially once Braxton went down, but it was evident from the jump. Like we, we didn't look like without Trey, we didn't look like we had any, anything that was a threat to them in the passing game. Yeah, and, and that feeling of despair, I'm sure it was with every Hokie who's watching tonight or listening um, over the next few days here, three passing yards. And it literally took almost to the end of the first half to get a pass complete in those three passing yards. Yeah, three. Three. And what, what's what, what's the old Bob Euchre line from Major League? What did he say? What was it? Which one? One? <laughs> one? One? We got one? one? Yeah, one bleeping. We got three? We got three bleeping passing yards? Are you <laughs> kidding me? And you know, you know, BB gets banged up. It's the ribs. You can tell it. We said it earlier in the season. We said it even before the season started. If he gets hurt, this team is in significant trouble. He's hurt now. I don't I do not know the time frame. We won't know the time frame. Let's just be honest. Yep. You know, we're we're not gonna know anything about BB until we won't know until three, three thirty to forty minutes before yep. kickoff when uh the media starts reporting of who's out throwing the football and practice in uh warming up pregame. That's when we'll know. And yep. after uh, yeah, aside from that, it's gonna be interesting. Um, because we, we don't, and we're going to talk about it more here in a little bit, but it's, it's this so close to the vest, uh, game that this staff plays to the detriment of everything, how folks view them, how folks, uh, embrace the program. I mean, there's just so many missed opportunities with the, the, the PR and the messaging, uh, that the fans get and, it's starting to to take a toll, I think, on everybody. It is. I mean, you know, not to get off topic too much there. Sorry, it's about okay. That. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But it's just, you know, the messaging is bad. You know, the messaging is bad. But what's worse, Brian, is okay. So you get Knox Kadem to come in, right? And we've already mentioned that it's not going to be a good situation. I do think watching Knox throw the ball. I think Knox has a slightly Better arm than Braxton. He's not, at least got a stronger arm yes. than Braxton. Not near the athleticism, not nearly the worry about the back end if there breaks. But they, we come in, and the first pass he completes, first of all, they ran a, 
a freaking read option to the short side for him. And he realizes he's four yards behind. I think Caleb Smith is slightly downfield. He just chucks it over his head. That's the first pass. That wasn't a true pass. That was him being a heady player, getting rid of the ball. But the actual first two passes, I know this had to drive you crazy because your thing all year with BB has been, let's get him easy throws early, get him comfortable, you know, let's do this, then let's go downfield. It wasn't one, Brian. The first two passes for Knox Caden. Shot. Shot. Downfield shots to <laughs> Caleb and Tay. Now, Tay did misplay his ball, um, and that's okay. New quarterback. I'm not going. I'm, Davian Robinson was a bright spot. Um, you know, less the fumble, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But where's the easy shit? Where's the where's the easy hook passes? Where's a swing? Where is something that this guy can see a ball get completed? I don't care if it's at the line of scrimmage or one yard pass. It shows him an attitude. The last time he threw a significant snap, threw a significant ball in in, in a live contest, was the uh, the pick. So, why are you not trying to get this guy comfortable in this situation? And and it's and it's not like we were down 24 points. Yeah, it was essentially a two possession game where we were still within reach. We were within reach the whole game, which we, we will get to very soon. That's coming up very soon. Yes, we will. <laughs> we, we sit there and I, it shows the ineptitude that the person in – I'm just going to say it right now. The SOB calling the play – he is never going to get another collegiate coaching job ever, ever. No one will take him. I guarantee you he's going to be scraping for a high school job. I mean, he's he's definitely not. I mean, give him a D three job. <laughs> wouldn't Marty hire him? No, nah, Marty Marty <laughs> Marty wouldn't hire him. Marty, there you go. Mar, you Mar, Marty calls the plays, so I mean, Marty wouldn't hire him anyway. But would yeah. make him hire? Uh, would make him hire? Nah, pa- Pedro uh, wouldn't want him. Pedro wouldn't want him. <laughs> Me and you wouldn't want him. Hell, Abert wouldn't want him. I see, and you might want him. I, I, they, they've been down. They've been down recently. Recently, he's been they've down. got a decent. They've got a decent program history. Let's be real. Matt Neal, where are you they're, at? They're, doing. <laughs> they're making changes. You read that today, right? See I did. I did. Changes. All right. So, <laughs> and then let me just say this. With every week that goes by, Justin Fuente is not getting any sort of head coaching job. Every single week. There are more things that happen every single week. Yeah, I mean, right now, not not letting him go is is just kind of letting him, you know, tie his own noose here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true. He, he's hurt. I mean, it, it's it's hurting our brand long term. It's hurting his viability as a head coach long term. Um, and it, it's so many different angles, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that we're just seeing complete and utter chaos. Uh, we've been, uh, this year so far fairly well on third down, but it, it took a big, big collapse this week. Oh, it was dreadful. I mean, three of 12, I mean, yeah, we were right at, we were essentially right into their wheelhouse of what they do on third down as a, they're a solid top 25, top 30 defense in every aspect. They're not great at one thing, 
but yeah, it was it was absolutely terrible. Which just it, it it begs the question: What are they doing there in the week? What are they preparing for? At least the last two weeks, we could say we looked like a semblance of a team. But you know, your quarterback goes out, and, and it's what we talked about. It's what we talked about. There, there's things that you cannot do with Knox. There's yep. just things you can't do with him. And there's things that you can't make up for. So, as you've said, Brian, numerous times, what'd you say about BB? I mean, BB has been the reason that our offense has moved, but also the reason our offense can't get better. He, <laughs> and- he, he puts a ceiling on the offense, but he also keeps the floor somewhat high. And let's not let's not talk about looking at game on Saturday night with what Hooker did. Yeah, it, we uh, he had more touchdowns in the first half than we had yards throwing. Then we had yards throwing <laughs> four, and so it, it's beginning to come apparently clear that he was the most talented. And yeah. if you go back, I, I I can't I can't tell you what I said. 10 days ago, much less 10 months ago. Understand why he left. Sucks why he left. Um, but it was more and more of a detriment to the team. And he's went somewhere with Heupel. Heupel's always coached his quarterbacks well. Always. Yep. And he is finding a rhythm. Um, and, you know, pulling the upset off at Kentucky. They're probably definitely going to the bowl because the toughest part of their schedule is, you know, I think they got they got Georgia left. Yep. Then it's like they've Vandy. got one soft one, but they've got two two very winnable games. Other well, they're gonna, they're gonna they're gonna blow the doors off Vandy. Vandy, if, if they go in there and they're 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 five and five and six, they're gonna blow the doors off Vandy. Yeah, there's not even a doubt about that. But it's you see how he passes in the runs, especially the downfield shots, and we don't we don't have that at all. And you know, I mean, we'll say it. I mean, that offense is is a better offense in terms of scheme. Is. And it mm-hmm. and it fits his skill set very well. Um, and and the offense here f- was a fairly good match for his skill set. So I mean, yeah. it's it's not so much like it's great that he's blowing up there, and um and and I'm I'm glad that he's he's doing all that. But when when we look at it, if he would have been here, I think we would have been we're a better team with him than we are without yeah. him. And I think, I, and I think, and they, I think that's aside from scheme. I know he's in a better situation in terms of having a little bit higher caliber players around him. Added bit. to the fact you've got better, better scheme overall. Better, better coaching. Just, just say that. Better. Yeah. Josh Heupel is doing more with the Tennessee recruits that Pruitt brought in than Pruitt was doing. Yeah. It 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 it, it says a lot about Heupel. He walked in there. He, he's figured it out. He wasn't afraid to make a quarterback change. I felt like he wasn't calling the plays. I think he is calling the plays now. Don't quote me on that. But he's he's finding it on the go in how they competed with Alabama, right? Yeah. How they competed with Alabama was a huge sign. And I think in a few weeks here, I think maybe even this week is when it is, when they play Georgia, probably how they'll compete with Georgia. Well, um, they're probably uh, about two cycles worth of defensive talent away yes. from making making a, a a press in the East. Not saying that they're going to match Georgia, but they'll be right there in the conversation of that next tier uh, in, in one to two years if they get some some more recruits in the door uh, for that defense. 
Absolutely. Um, one of the things, well, another positive, we did not break the scoring streak this week. Thank you, John Parker Romo, banging through it by about that much. The field goal, um, yep. you know, in the second quarter to, to make it a 17-13 game where, again, we were still in reach. In reach. Uh, And we were still in reach uh, with four minutes and 47 seconds left as well, Curtis. Oh, were we? Well, let's let's do this first. We were on the doorstep to make it into one touchdown game and Tay fumbles the ball. And that sucks because that was probably the best drive of the night that we had. Yeah. Three minutes, we had some runs. We had a a downfield pass with Tavion making a big play, another big run. Malachi again with the big run. Um, Gallo with the big catch, and we get there. It's that inside screen, and he got lit up. And and, and it was essentially the back coming from behind. I, I looked at it. It's not like he was loose with the ball. Just perfect, right? Just a yep. perfect, just a perfect punch. And although that killed it, defense held up. We'll talk about them later. They weren't perfect, but they did have their moments. But what Brian is talking about is with four minutes and 47 seconds left at our own, what was it, 25-yard line, fourth and six. You're down 14. You got two timeouts in the bag. If you punt the ball, you literally need three and out, score a touchdown in two minutes, get the onside kick, and then you'll score another touchdown. Yep. And essentially, Justin Fuente came, quitter, quit, quit. He decided, even in the presser, was I wanted to give us a, cha- a chance. You're down two touchdowns and it's under five minutes left. The most you can extend this game is to six. It, six minutes. You don't have enough time. Yep. So he quit. If, he quit. if you were, if that was, you know, seven and a half, sure, that's, that's seven and a half minutes left. That's a logical uh, move oh, yeah. to make. With with under five minutes left to go in the game, that is malpractice. Mal- that is malpractice because you're essentially folding up shop and saying, all right, well, I need my defense to get me the ball back, and then I've got to do something I haven't done the whole game two times. Yeah. Tr- trust you, you're not going to get the ball back. You're not. Not the way they were running the ball. And guess and what? He, we didn't. We didn't get the ball back. You know, we, we sit here and it was just like, it was a quit. It was a surrender cobra. It was a surrender cobra. It was malpractice. It was negligent. Yeah. It it was, it was something that I didn't think, like th- this was kind of a low point for me. And this is, this is classic Fuente though. Um, when we talk about, um, some of the weird fourth quarter choices, some of the the conservativeness when you get a lead, like all of this is from the classic Fuente playbook. Like, I just don't get being that conservative Mm-mm. down two touchdowns. Nope. It just no. it 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 baffles me. It was one of the most head scratching decisions that Fuente has made in his entire time at Virginia Tech and he's made some big ones. Oh, some big um, and bad but, ones. But but this one did it just it didn't make sense. It was pretty much saying, guys, we're I, done. We're done. 
we're done. We're not playing anymore. We, with less, with just under five minutes left, he said, "Nah, we're we're good. We're cooked. We're we, cooked." He said to the team, essentially on both sides of the ball, "We can't win this game. Y'all are not good enough to win this game. I am not good enough to win this game." That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. It's irritating because. In that situation, you have nothing to lose. If you go for it and you miss it, the, the probabilities was probably about 8 to 10% you could do it. So very, very small that you could actually pull and tie the game back up. Yep. So it, 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 it says a well, lot of- Well, the thing is, is that if you end up driving the field and you get a touchdown there, you haven't wasted the clock of kicking the ball back to them. You haven't wasted your timeouts. So you yeah. can still have two timeouts – Yes. By the time you go for your onside kick, and if you don't get the onside kick, you can still have a chance to get the ball back yep. and still tie it up. True. Once you kick, they're at least running what a minute, two minutes off that. They're at least running two minutes off that. So, but even if you don't, even if you kick and you hold perfect, which we we had seen already, it probably wasn't going to happen. Even if you you stop them and burn two timeouts. 10 seconds for the kick, 10 seconds per play, right? Give or take. Sure. Yeah. Four minutes and 15 seconds on the clock. They're going to punch you way back in your end zone again, likely. And now, well, now you've got a score and you don't have the ability if you throw a pass in the middle of the field and you get a first down and you can't get everybody down, you don't have the ability to control you yep. you're, you're you're either wasting a down with the spike or you're having to call a play fast and uh yep. waste the time getting lined up in a new formation, wasting time getting the play in, all that. All of that fun stuff. All of that fun stuff. So we go to they they run nine plays, they win the game. All right, so the press conference comes. Brian, we had gotten wind that Trey was going to be out. Right, we got win. It was it was Monday one the, night. Monday night. Monday night. <laughs> win. Probably not going to play. We didn't talk about it because we got nope. it from a a source that we're not. Nope. It is what it is, right? It is but what it is. we got it from someone. He's probably not going to play. Okay, that's fine. You know about this early in the week. You probably knew about it Sunday. You probably knew about it Saturday. You can game plan for what to do in that case. Well, <laughs> I saw it on David Cunningham's tweet. It was, well, we didn't know right up until game time that Trey wasn't going to play. What? Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been in this discussion most of the day. Oh, yes, you um, have, big time. It's it, it, it hasn't been a fun discussion because, oh. so to me, it's two angles here. Either this is Foo playing – Injury information so close to the damn vest that he's lying to cover his ass. He's covered his ass. Or or he is he is so like I don't believe that 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 there is this level of ineptitude that he didn't know the status of Trey's injury. I think this is him trying to be so close to the vest with injury information that he's fabricating information to the media, whether purposefully or inadvertently. Um, and it really doesn't matter because it's malpractice either way. Um, cause I, I don't believe 
at all that the head coach did not know the status of the injury to his star receiver. The number one throughout the week. Yeah. I don't believe that whatsoever. That that would not be the case. Um, Let's do this though. Hold on. There's a timeline of things though. Looking, we heard whispers, you know, it didn't affect your decision. It really didn't affect my decision in our predictions. I know some people were like coming out and saying, Oh, you knew this information. Okay. Listen, didn't know about Djokovic. Brian talked about that. We had a wind of Trey. You don't mention it because if somebody tells you something and they trust you, you don't mention it. Before, it hadn't reached official channels, so I yep. we weren't going to talk about it on here. We until it reaches official channels, we don't we don't play that game. Okay, yeah, we don't play um, that. not at all. So, we're not we're not okay. going to sit on here and and feed you hearsay and shit like that. I mean, damn right we aren't. We might know something, but until it's it's official in our mind, we're we're keeping it off off the air. Yes, we are. All right. So that was said. Some the lashback happened with Trey's mom. I knew by Wednesday that I wasn't. What is it? She basically she knew Wednesday it was absolutely he was not going to play. She canceled her plane ticket to Boston, canceled her hotel reservation. She wasn't flying. So. We got wind of it. His mom knew Wednesday. She's making all her cancellations. She's not flying up to Boston because Trey's not going to be there. Makes perfect sense. But the head coach of the Virginia Tech football team did not know that his number one star receiver, I call bullshit. I think he was trying – it's his excuse. We didn't know about it so close to the game, so we didn't know how to really play. That's why we looked like trash. No, you looked like trash because your offensive coordinator and certain guys on that side of the ball are trash and you're trying to protect them, and you're making yourself look like an ass. Now, Brian, I hope you got this uh, – get the tweet up. And do a little reading. Which one? <laughs> the Morris tweet from today. The people oh, okay. replied to Will Stewart at TSL because – All right, so Pete Morris, please let me clarify a few items. The medical staff and coaches are in constant communication. Every injury is different. Game availability may not be determined until later in the week in many instances. Player safety and care is always a top priority. That's great, Pete. Um, (laughs) But you didn't give us any new information there. Everything you just said is something that, in my mind, I had already assumed was the case. You didn't answer the question. The question is... Why did the head coach state in a press conference that they didn't know that Trey was going to miss this game till very late in the process when his mom knew for certain on Wednesday and other people knew as early as Monday that it was a good probability that he wasn't playing? So what is it? Is it the medical staff not reporting injuries to the coach? Is it the coach lying? Well, all Pete did was throw gasoline on this thing because oh, all because oh, oh, he came out there with and, and, and I mean I'll say it, it's just that like classic generic PR bullshit. It is um, that did nothing to add to the conversation. It merely pointed out information that most fans had already assumed, Ooh. and it pissed us off. It pissed <laughs> off. you off more than me. I had some things going on here today. Some errands running. And you were lighting it up. But it, it, when I read it, it's like, no, the, the question is why? Why did he not know? And the whys are, 
either A, he's lying, or B, somebody truly didn't tell him. And I, I really find that hard to believe. I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that he did not know he was going to be there. All on him. All on him, 100%. And, you know, it's just... So that's the offense. That's the yep. fire. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, but let's let's go over to the defensive side of the ball. Siegla over here said it on Wednesday night. There were some whispers that there was a chance Jacoby could be back. You didn't say definitively he's going to be back. You just said you had read in an article. I don't know where it was published. I saw someone that was affiliated with BC tweeting that Jerkovic had been seen throwing at practice. There you go. He saw someone tweet this. So it wasn't like we got this behind the scenes and we held it. He said this on Wednesday night because of that tweet from someone associated with the program. And then on Friday, just a few hours before game time, Phil Jerkovic will be starting tonight. And is their offense a lot different between Jerkovic, Grissel, or Alexander? No, I mean, I mean, they really, I mean, obviously, Moorhead can. Moorhead, not Alexander. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. More, more, Moorhead has a little bit more of a uh, of an arm than Grossell, but, um, and obviously Phil we saw was a little bit was still a little bit limited with what he could do with his arm right now. True. Um, pro- probably a grip thing and not being able to rip it like he wants to, uh, and just general rust from not playing for what seven weeks six, six weeks six weeks yeah six weeks um so the combination of those two things are probably what's what, what held him back but i mean they were still running the full complement of their offense yeah they um, were with the wrinkle the yep. running wrinkle of him on the read option it baffled us and i mean man he went 60 yeah. yards you know on like nine carries over seven yards a carry including that one play where we had him dead to rights about 12 yards in the backfield. He avoids not one, but two potential sacks and gets up the field for a 10-plus yard gain. Yeah. And and if you ask me, and this is me, this offense wasn't going to change whoever was out there. But if you put it on a scale of 1 to 100, even an injured Djokovic is probably somewhere between an 80 and 90 versus where Grissel and Moorhead will be below that. Him at a full, we've seen him compete with some of the better teams. Yeah, and I think the thing that we could see was missing. Um, he wasn't able to rip it um, like he normally is. And like I said, I think that's probably due to not being able to get, or at least feel comfortable with the grip he had on the football. And like I said, probably just still knocking off some rust with the timing and everything with his receivers. Uh, but there definitely wasn't the zip on the ball when he was throwing it uh, down the field like we're used to. Still was better at getting it down the field than Grossell had been on the whole the last six weeks. Um, but you probably probably lost a little bit in terms of arm strength compared to what you'd have gotten with Moorhead. But you probably roll with the more seasoned player at that point. Um, so that's probably why they went that direction. And I know they kind of left it up to him, it sounds like whether he felt comfortable going, he went in there and said he wanted to play. So they played him. Um, and 
you know, he didn't have his best game throwing the ball, but he didn't need to, especially the way they were running the ball with Garwo and the way they were um, using that read option with him and um, taking advantage of a lot of missed tackles by our uh, defensive front six. Yeah, and you talk about the arm strength and you think about, let's think about two of the big plays that early in the game, it gave me the feeling that, you know, we're, we're not going to win this game. It's just, you have those breaks. And let's talk about Dorian Strong. He rolled out and he tried to throw the ball and he shorted the ball and Dorian just picked it. And Dorian's running, trying to find a lane to get up and give Djurkovic credit. He came back downfield, bumped the ball loose and they recover. And you just kind of sat there and said they had a good drive going. He tried to roll pocket throw. He left it a little short. Young guy came up, picked it. And there were some people on the timeline that were screaming like, when I saw him running around like that, looking for something, I was just screaming, go down. Go down. There's nothing there. He didn't. They fumble. They score off that um, with actually a Djokovic run. Yeah. And if that wasn't bad enough, I feel like the the next one was even worse. Because how many times do you see that happen? Yeah, I mean, Daly comes in, makes a, a good pass defense. Probably could have knocked it towards the ground a little bit more. But bang, bang, play there. Tipped. It's like eight yards back. Like, it wasn't like. Way back. <laughs> yeah. Like, eight, eight or nine yards back. And, uh, you know, Witter gets the, the reception there. Ends up being a first down. You know, you think you're potentially getting off the field again, and then all of a sudden you're you're looking at another first down for the other team. Uh, and those are two. That's the two plays. I was like, all right, this this unit snake bitten tonight. That they can't do anything they right. Are. Even even when they do right, they do wrong. And then on that one, Dewitter, he doesn't even catch it and get the first down. He's a yard short. They plow over the defensive line. Djokovic does on sneak, easy first down. But, you know, how do you feel? How does secondary feel, Brian? How does the secondary have to feel when they – we've got a pick. We stopped them on third and long with a great pass deflection, and they essentially got 10 points out of it. Yeah. How do you, like, how do you even stay in the mindset that – um, how do you even stay in the game after that happens in the first, you know, 20 minutes of it? Yeah, it's definitely uh, disheartening. Um, the fact that they kept coming back and um, you know still held the 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 pass game more or less in check for most of the game. Yeah, um, they they weren't able to do a ton down the field, even when they took shots. Obviously, uh, they were purposefully leaning on their running game most of the time, um, especially once they got that big early lead. Uh, but you know, it, it was kind of it was kind of hard that even when they were making plays, you know, they it still ended up working out for the offense. Yes. Um, so so that was frustrating early on, and and I think some of that frustration carried over. Um, but you know, when we look at the running game, that's where that's where things started to fall apart for the defense. Um, D line and linebackers were getting kind of pushed around by that offensive line. Uh, Lindstrom. Uh, was a was an animal um inside there uh getting to the second level uh on Dax most of the night um it was wasn't pretty da- Dax and Tisdale were finding themselves out of position a lot um it kind of seemed it was it's more of that 2020 style shit re- rearing its head <laughs> 
Um, it, 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 it looked as close to 2020 uh, defense as I've seen this year. And, and that was disheartening. And, and, and it's not that they went out there and they gave up a ton of points. The, they, they're still doing a, a fairly, fairly decent job of bending and not breaking. But you, you got to get a team like that off the field more than you did. You absolutely and, have to. And that's the problem is that they, they extended so many drives. There were so many 10 and 12 play drives and them just methodically moving the ball downfield. Um, it, 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 then you can't do that when you're a, a thin team, especially up front. I mean, you're going to wear yourself down so fast and that's what happened. I know. And, and you know, Garwell went over a hundred on 30 carries. He went like he was like under four, so it was the second worst yards per carry production game since Temple. Um, but he still went over 100. They went 234 as a team. The the sad part is for us at least, it's the this was the death 5,000 cuts that you always talk about. They had no gains over 20, no running gains over 20 yards. But you know what they had, and you already mentioned it kind of talking about they just kept leaning and just kept long extending drive. 22 first downs, 22, and 50% on third down and fourth down. So, you know, every other time we had a chance to get them off the field, we couldn't. They extended the drives. So, in one sense, you get pissed at the defense, like, damn you guys, why didn't you make that 25%? On the other hand, you say, they got them off the field a lot. And they, they did keep us in this game. Because yeah. they didn't give up big plays. Because even though they were missing tackles and it was ugly at times, they were still stopping drives at times. If if the defense, yeah, imagine to- imagine if we played sound, like <laughs> oh god, it would have been like a seven to three game. Yeah, it would have been an ugly, ugly matchup if we played sound defense. Anybody that took the over would have just like went out back and just banged their head against trees. Like, why did I take the over against these two teams? Yeah, and and everything we saw on defense, there was nothing egregiously bad. It was just consistently not enough to get off the field. Yeah, and I and that goes back. I mean, some of that's by design with this bend don't break style, but that's where bend don't break style in a game like this comes back to bite you, right? Yeah, but but a lot because of the because you're killing you're you're killing the the uh, the time of possession. You're getting killed in time of possession. And then your offense can't do anything with it. It's true. But a lot of the times, Brian, it was the missed tackles that were happening, you know, in, instead of being the three-yard gain, it was the five. Yeah. Instead of – we only had six tackles for loss, no sacks. Instead of being the tackle for loss and putting them at second and 12, second and 11, they'd get it back to the line of scrimmage or one or two more yards. And that's the ones we've, – we've talked about it several times now. That's the frustrating piece. It's because it's the momentum, right? Because you imagine those guys coming off after they go out, like, listen, hey, keep running hard. They had you for a six-yard loss. You made it a one-yard game. They had you for a sack, and you got the ball away. It's mentality. It's momentum. It's being able to walk to the sideline and saying, you're this close. You keep pressing. Instead of being a zero-yard game, you're going to get five. And that's what they did, and they kept pounding and kept pounding on us. Until eventually, you know, at the end, they sat on the ball for the 447. They took it out. They won the game. I want to, I want to, what I want to address before we uh, go to break here, Brian, the Dax incident. 
Dax got a personal foul penalty, late hit on Djokovic, borderline, whatever. And then he essentially shoved Jeff Halfley. This is my view on that. If he does not shove Jeff Halfley, he would have fucking ran Jeff Halfley over and probably seriously fucking injured him. So there were people, Virginia Tech fans, on the timeline saying, what kind of shit's this? This is garbage. This is the type of players they're coaching. No. Believe it or not, him shoving him down to the ground probably seriously helped Halfley not get fucking killed by a 240-pound linebacker fully padded. My opinion. I don't know how you feel on the incident, Brian, but I think how Dax, what he did was right. Not If he really wanted to hurt Halfley, he could have just kept running. I don't think there was intent in what he did in terms of trying to trying to shove him out of the way out of frustration. I think it was just, he's there. Let me get this guy out of the way as I'm running through. But I... Th- you combine it at the time, and I and I get where the where the knee jerk reaction comes from because you got a play that probably wasn't the smartest play by him anyway. He should have been aware of where he was on the field, not carried carried through the tackle and and, uh, and took him to the ground uh, with the push. So that's uh, it wasn't quite the bang bang play there, and then you you add that that action after after that happens you, you get why the knee jerk happened the knee jerk reaction on that i think it's much ado about nothing or mu- at least not not anything worth dwelling on um it, it kind of is what it is um the the play that hurt us was the play of the of the tackle itself not anything that happened extracurricular there we go so we'll put that one to bed and again if you we're under a rock for the last 48 hours or so. Hokies end up losing 17-3 to three up in Boston during the Red Bandana game. And, Brian, what we'll do now before we get into a couple other things here tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, and we are back. So earlier today, me and Brian put our heads together and said, we need to throw this out here because what loss is worse? of the last three seasons. Is it Duke in 2019? Is it the pit game 47-14 of 2020? Or is it this game? And we put a poll out here and almost 400 of you guys have responded. We really appreciate that. And Brian, drum roll, please. The winner is 2019 Duke carrying 68% of the vote. Second place at 29%, I think, carrying maybe a little more than me and you were surprised, was the BC game from Friday at 29%. And then last but not least, with a handful of boats, is the Pitt 2020 game. Yep. Now, go ahead, Brian. 
I was going to say, uh, we did have a couple other write-ins. Um, the other one that uh, was probably the strongest was the ODU from, uh, from 2018. ODU and Pitt from 2018, several of those. But I just wanted to go through some of the comments here, and let's just talk about some of our listeners. We'll give you shout-outs out there. Let's start with our boy Tally. He said BC, and he said because we had zero highlights. It is true. We had no real highlights in this game. Everything yeah. was bad. Other than Peter Moore kicking the ball. Three yards at halftime, just enough said. Um, our boy James Ambrose hits up all of the above. Inferior opponent in Duke. Pitt was missing talent that game. BC was just, this was a coaching miss. Here's one of the 2018 Pitt, James Copeland, guy we chat with occasionally. He put 18 Duke or 18 Pitt as the worst. But on here was Duke 19, and he said that was when the nation saw who wasn't it. Yep. A couple more. We're going to keep going, just and then we'll give our complete thoughts on this. Because you guys made – I'm going to give credit. It wasn't uh, – most of you guys didn't just put the game and then leave it. You put your reasonings behind it. And I love when people give their opinions and their thoughts. Um, so I'm going to read a couple more, Brian. Actually, I'm going to read quite a few more because – you guys did awesome tonight. Um, GJP VT09, after the debacle of 2018, Flu needed a new start in 2019. He did not get it. He did not get it after the shit show that happened in Chestnut Hill and then the ODU game and then the close call with Furman. The Duke game was the beginning of the end. He turned the tide midseason, but we closed out on a sour note. Yep. Jake Lamb, 2019. Because Cooker would have been number one in camp. Dixon Mills hits ODU 2019. I said I think he meant 18. He did say that was it, but 2019 was the precursor for the Duke game. Because the Furman and the ODU game, watching those two, what happened to Duke was not a surprise to a lot of people. Yep. I'm gonna keep going here. I buddy Pete V over too deep. Duke was the Duke was the worst because the worst home loss and it was a bad Duke team. And CJ from VA, this was the one you were talking about, Brian. None. It's ODU. We were ranked in the top fifteen. They were zero and three. They had lost to bad teams. They finished four and eight. We were their last. We were their first of four wins that season. We had been downhill since then. And I think everything is right there. I I, I will discount the the value of the ranking. Because we we shouldn't have been ranked at that point in the season. It was, it was it was totally still based off of the strength of the uh, FSU. Phantom FSU win. Um, but everything else you said was spot on there, um, right. and and it definitely looked worse because the fact that we were ranked. Obviously that that hurt in terms of perception, even though the perception was a little bit of a facade. Um, you want to give your take first, or you want me to lead on this? Well, let's let's before we give our take on what we feel is the worst. Let's go with the other two because, believe it or not, of the one we agree with, uh, me and Brian agreed on the same one. Right, let's start with the with the furthest back, almost over two years ago, the Duke twenty night lean loss. We had hope, right, Brian? Even after that loss, there was hope. We had brought Jerry Keel in. We had Quincy, and we had. Hendon, two four-star quarterbacks, both highly ranked in the wings. They were there. 
we had a good core group of players, right? After 2018, those guys were growing up. Like, you know, it was like, it was shitty, but you feel like things could change. And then. You felt like there was at least a pivot. There yeah. was at least something to pivot to. Even if that pivot didn't work, there was something there, right? Yeah. There was something there. And and, and, and it, it's the Shawshank Redemption line, right, Brian? Yep. Hope. It's a good thing. It's a dangerous thing. And it was dangerous for this fan base because what happened between the Miami game and even the bowl game, you felt like, okay, this might be on back on the right track. Yes, we lost to Notre Dame. Yeah, we lost UVA as the first time since we were like 20 that they'd done that. Um, but it still felt like hope because with the UVA game, they needed Perkins to play literally the game of UVA's entire football history to win that game. Um, yeah. And then the Kentucky game. The game Friday night, I'll just say it. I can't. I didn't vote for that one. And I didn't vote for Duke 2019 because I felt like Friday night, Brian, it's over. It's over. Yeah. It's going to be very hard for them to come back from that because um, that, that was as flat of a performance, especially on the offensive side, as as we've seen. Um and in, in terms of just output in general, as bad as we've seen, I mean, there's been other games where our offense hasn't done well, but you know, we're talking about a hurricane game or <laughs> shit <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> not, yeah. not uh perfect fall conditions in chestnut Hill. <laughs> 43 degrees, nice brisk fall night. And that happens, you know, it's, it's, it's over. I think that's the general consensus that's it's coming down how quick it happens. I, I think that's, that's to be determined. I said it based on just the performance and then the, the post game stuff. I, I didn't think he should have made it to the Monday presser and we'll see. Well, obviously it seems like he will. Um, it's, 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 it's just so la it's, it's laughable at this point. And it it's is. getting to the point that apathy is setting in, in the fan base, the fan base is done. And, and I'm sad because I, I hope folks still show up for the Duke game because the seniors yep. deserve it. The players in general deserve it. Seniors uh, deserve it. The thing guys deserve it. They've been playing, they've been playing their ass off, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I, they've been let down by their staff. Uh, they've been mm -hmm. let down uh, by the program in general. And I, I, I hope that we are able to make the right decision to move on because the players deserve it. The players deserve to, when they go out there and lace them up, um, that they're going to have the best chance they can of, of coming away with the victory. And I feel like that's, that hasn't been the case for, for at least two years now, if not longer. Um, you know, I, th I think as as we've talked about a little bit with uh, with this, you know, we felt like Jerry Kill helped out in 2019, and there was hope that that would carry over after he left, and it it, it absolutely has not. Well, it what absolutely happened, has not. I think what we felt happened after 2019, we saw those things in place, and I think you talk about carryover. We felt like there will be new things implemented. Things will be done differently. And it looks like it was going to be that way. 
Well, it shows that there was no lessons learned from Jerry Kill. There was no lessons learned. There were no. The lessons were learned, put into practice when they needed it, and then immediately reverted back. Right? It's like, you know, it's it's like punishing your child for doing something and taking a toy away. And then giving that toy back, and then the then the same behavior happens again. And you're just like, and that's what's happened. They were shown what they were doing wrong. They were corrected. He was out of bounds, by the way. I don't, you know, I don't know what they've ruled. I can't hear it. He stepped out of bounds, and he was the first guy to touch the ball. He was not forced out. It looks like I, that sucks ball. for me because I have Higby on my fantasy team. Ooh, but. I do too. I have him on another league. <laughs> All right. So obviously, we talked Duke 2019. We've talked PC 2021s. We're the three percenters. Yeah. We're the three percenters. Yeah, it sounds like some sort of group. <laughs> like, if you were, listen, for those, if you're listening, if you voted for Pitt, DM us or reply on the chain. Because literally out of about 400 votes, when it's like 3%, it's literally like six or seven of us. And as me and Brian were talking throughout the day and just before we jumped on here tonight, why was Pitt so bad? Pitt was bad because they were missing the large majority of their all-conference uh, caliber players. Uh, we came into that game in a winnable matchup and just got the dog shit beat out of us. We were more or less, it was one of the times of the year where we were more or less healthy going into that game last year, mostly full complement of weapons. And we did nothing. And we let them run up and down the field on us. We let them throw up and down the field on us. And we had nothing to respond with on offense. We did nothing. We looked terrible. We looked uninterested, especially on offense, especially with the defense. Remember the first half of that game, defense played good. We were they kept us in it. And then the wheels fell off in the second half. This is why I chose that game. If you remember guys last year, Liberty, I was out firing. This was the game that pushed Brian over the edge. And that's when the whispers started of he's gonna be gone. He's gonna be gone. And that's why this game to me I voted for. Because it was – we thought after that game, it's over. We're going to get a whole new regime. You know, we're going to, you know, probably get some more. We're going to get some more – we're going to probably get some more funding, better assistance, um, more recruiting staff. And when the press conference with Witt happened after UVA and it didn't happen, I revert back to this game and I said, that was it. That that They were missing so many players. We coached so bad. We played so bad. That's the coach. This is the issue. And you ripped the rug out from us. In, in 2018, Pitt, yeah, that was really bad. But after what we'd seen early in that season, it was expected to happen. Yeah, th- that didn't shock me as much. I mean, we were a very young team. We had just lost a-, a lot of our core players from the previous season. Um, 
it was a bad loss because that that pit team was not as good as the 2020 pit team, but the 2020 pit team was missing more of the players that counted in that game than the 2018. So, the, and it was also and we were also at a point where, I, you know, 2018 after 2016 and 2017, you're not pulling the plug on your head coach. 2020 after that performance, that was a pull the plug level loss. Yes. And, and that's why it's different. That's why that's why it weighs more for me. Especially what had happened with, but there was a step to get there, right? The way North Carolina had looked, the way we had played against Wake, the Liberty game, and then that game, then that game, there were there was all this thing on the table. So that's us, and and we are clearly in the minority here, um, and that's fine. And I don't think anybody that answered otherwise is wrong. I just think I think we have a we have different opinions of of kind of where where it is. And you know, people that say, "Yeah, that's a bad Duke team, and you should never get blown out by Duke, especially at home." I one hundred and ten percent agree with you. But there was there's one thing in nineteen and twenty one that got stolen. Nineteen, you had hope. Twenty one, we had hope. Twenty, the hope got stolen from us a few weeks later. That's the big – that's why I had a vote for it, because the hope got stolen from me. The hope yep. didn't steal. It hasn't gotten stolen, at least in 2021 yet. I hope they don't steal 2021, because I will put this poll out again, and I will vote the BC game, not the pit game. <laughs> All right, Brian, this is this is last segment – well, next to last segment. We're going to talk about our picks in a little while here. Um, our buddy Eric Carr, we chat with Eric. I follow him on Twitter. He made a statement, and after what's happened the last two years, we have to visit it. And basically, Eric, the Eric Carr, follow him if you like hokey football, tweeted this. Is VT football worse today than it was the day Frank Beeman retired in 2015? That would have been after the Independence Bowl win over Tulsa. We go seven and six. Our only losses by more than double digits that year were a ten-point loss to Ohio, or a ten-point loss to Miami, and the loss to Ohio State to open the season. Every other loss was a touchdown or less. I'm gonna keep going here. Going into the November twelfth weekend of two thousand and fifteen, Ryan, yep. remember what our record was? Uh, was it four and five? We're four and five. We're four and five. And we go down the stretch and we we win the game. We lose Frank's last home game in overtime to UNC and we win the UVA game to go six and six. Um similar here with you I won't I gotta look that up. I forgot who it was we played the week prior to don't worry, I'm gonna effort this real quick because I, I want to remember who we played in 2020 or 2015. One moment, everyone. Oh, the game before UNC? The game before UNC, unless you have it up there. There we go. We beat Georgia Tech. We beat Georgia Tech by two points. And let's 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 do this, Brian. Okay, what you got? Twenty fifteen going into twenty sixteen, 
versus 21 going into 22. Was talent worse or better that year, in your opinion? Uh, talent level is was much better in 2015 heading into 16 than it is right now. Um, not just talent, but depth, uh, which is as just as important as overall talent. It's true. I agree with that. The only thing we had not ironed out was the quarterback situation. Do give Fuente credit for that, but getting Evans in here, that made that team click. Yep. I do not know if we would have went to the ACC title game or won 10 games that year without Gerard Evans. I'm, I'd say eight, maybe seven, looking how this coaching staff coaches now. So write that down. We're going now into a new regime, likely, with less talent. The other big piece, Brian, and this is big. I don't give a shit who you are and what you say. Following the coaching legends and the expectations that have been set, we're here. Yeah. We're here. Next regime. You're not following the coaching legends. <laughs> You're not following the coaching legend. You're also, uh, I mean, the expectations, I think, in terms of where we want to be are the same. I think that out the gate, there will be a lot more leash than was given uh, previously. And that's just because of the thing we just talked about, which is the talent level and roster makeup and depth of the roster overall. Um, We're in a situation where it's not just finding a solution at quarterback, it's finding a solution at about three or four different positions. Yeah. Particularly in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Very true. Um, the quarterback is the big one, though. I, I do think you have Luke coming back. Parker's looked better. Um, Caden getting the playing time this year has helped out. I don't think he's there, but I think he has a potential. Um, you do need some more depth on the line. I think it's defensive end depth on the defensive line. Um, I feel okay about linebackers. I feel okay about the back end on defense. Um, but it's the depth. There ain't much behind anybody. So I'm with you on that. But it's the expectations. I think we as a fan base are probably going to go into this thing that first year, depending on who comes, how the portal looks, who stays in the recruiting class, who we get from the transfer portal. Yeah, portal's going to absolutely be important no matter who comes in. But it, it's going to be one of these expectations. If, if we're sitting here a year from tonight and you tell me we're at six wins, they have met expectations. If you're telling me that with three weeks to go in the season, we have six wins, you've completely met my expectation as of right now. We've got to see everything that happens. Check us back in August of next year and see if I say six wins. Like I said, nine this year. Um, stupid me. Uh, trusting this coaching staff. All right, Brian, let's jump on this next. I don't necessarily trust the coaching staff. I thought the, I thought talent-wise on the field, we were better than at least half the teams on our on our schedule, and then we'd, we'd sneak one in there, uh, sneak one or two in there, and we, we haven't done that. And no. we, we've played below our talent level in a lot of games, and, and most of that's from coaching decisions that are made in real time. That's very true. That's a good point to make here, maybe a – New coach staff can revitalize, and the seven, the seven point loss, the three point loss, and the two point loss or the four point loss can all be flipped. All right, Brian. 
I don't think anybody should argue about this. 2015, 2016, we were significantly needing of upgrades. Those are rolling into effect. The new coach is going to have the new weight room, the new players, the new dorms, the increased budgets. So to me, that's that. This is the only area that Fuente is leaving better than he found it. And he didn't do it. And he didn't really do a whole lot to get it there. But um, between what Witt had already put on the, the roadmap, plus what in terms of recruiting and other things that, uh, you know, Fuente was able to, in terms of recruiting staff, I should say that Fuente was able to bring to the table post the Baylor flirtation. Um, the combination of those two things have at least moved the conversation forward, even if not all of the financial investments have made their, their way home yet. Um, but more than likely those are coming through in the next two to three years and hopefully some of the early big investment that's made into reach for excellence can be put towards building that recruiting staff or high, hiring those uh, offensive and defensive analysts um, to kind of move things forward for this team. Um, Cause that's where the, I think in terms of on field product, that's what's going to help the most out the gate. So um, that, and obviously the assistant salary pool. All of that's going to be big and, and that is the one thing that if, if anything from this tenure, you're going to say things were pointed out. And I think if things had, let me ask this, Brian, if 2018 didn't happen, 2018 didn't happen. And let's say we went eight and five in 2018, we would be behind a year on all the upgrades. 2018 is going to be considered, should be considered a blessing in disguise. Because when you have that bad of a season after essentially the, the Frank run at the end, it was just Frank's just getting older. He's slowing down, can't get the recruits. It's tougher. But after the first two years of just went to, if 2018 doesn't happen, it doesn't turn wit's eye to, I've got to get this shit straight. And I've got to get this shit straight now, especially in, 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 in that there's the upside. If he doesn't come do what he did, we don't move forward quicker. Yeah. And, and I mean, w- let's talk about this too, because obviously the biggest issue that we're having in terms of not achieving what we want to achieve right now is coaching, coaching. but all these other things are playing a role and, and, the, yeah. and the, the fact that they need to be addressed can't be understated. Um, that being said, a good coach gets us where we need to be in spite of that. Yes. And you give them something to build upon, they can, they can grow it to something even better. Yep. Um, so that, that's kind of where we are in this thing. And then we talk about fan engagement and kind of being the last thing um, comparing the two way different, way worse, way, way worse. worse. Even the meddling last four years of Frank, we were still averaging about 62, 61. I think, I think somebody said this year we're at like 58, maybe 56. So 10,000, essentially. And and that's after not having fans in stands for 2020 and it being a big fucking deal the first two to three weeks that we were at home. What did we say on here? We said it almost a year ago when he was kept. 
you're going to see effects on the fan base. People are not going to show up. And then some people are like, yeah, but we've been locked in a year. Yeah. And for the first few weeks, it'll be okay. Yep. You start fucking up, you're going to see exactly what you are seeing at Syracuse and, you know, what we're probably going to see at the Duke game, which is about 55, 56,000 in lane. We don't want to turn into Bobby Dodd Stadium. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, we do not want to become that, and I don't think we'll become that because I think I don't think we will either. But I think I think the point, and I get that that you talk about a, a, a team in the middle of a city; they've got other shit to do. I get that. Um, and Virginia Tech is the biggest show in the state of Virginia. I get but, that. But hold on, can I butt you? Yep. It's the cities of Richmond. In Virginia Beach in Northern Virginia, how many people are driving three, four hours every Saturday? We, we've done it, Brian, and coming into Blacksburg. What you do not want to do is convince those people, I don't need to go. We suck anyway. I'm not going to know anything. I'm not going to be engaged with the team. Yeah, getting folks from like Lynchburg and Stanton and all points west of that is not the hard part. It's getting getting folks from the Tidewater there every week, getting folks from Richmond there every week, getting folks from Nova there every week. And once you start losing that audience, yep, where they might make one game a year instead of five, where they might not make a game this year because they'll get it next year when the team's looking better, yep. whatever it may be, um, that that's when you're going to be in trouble. And I think it's we're already starting to see some of that creeping in. Well, we saw and it last and it, year, and it's not. It's it's not just. I'll I'll say this: we've seen it as as we have progressed week to week, based on the podcast. It's true. It's true. The the the, the more folks are we are engaged at the beginning of the year when things still looked pretty. Yeah. It started to trickle away. There, there is apathy setting in. We, we see it. I mean, that that's one metric. You look at the metric of folks showing up in the stands. There's several different metrics that point to the fan base's losing interest in watching a losing product on the field. And you can only sell hope for so long into the season every year before it starts going back to, oh, okay, this is that same team we saw last year that – chokes these games away. This is the same team that doesn't quite get it done because the, the coaching staff doesn't have them prepared properly. I want to I ask you a question, Brian, and be very serious about this. If a change was made last year, but we're sitting at exactly the same record this year, you want to think engagement still wouldn't be up? I mean, you, yeah, you're going to get a honeymoon period, obviously, with the new coach, especially if that new coach is coming in and actually engaging the fans in a way that they are used to historically. But we're also going to be sitting here and saying he had to clean up the absolute dumpster fire that was. Yeah. Again, you get you get more leash. You get the honeymoon period. There's going to be a period of time where we are giving uh, the new coach the benefit of the doubt. And hopefully that he's earning it because that's one thing that I, I, I will say to Fuente is that he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because he never tried to earn it. Nope. In terms of fan engagement. Nope. Never did. If you keep that shit so close to your chest that people don't know what to think, they are going to write their own narrative. And if you let that go for long enough, it's going to become a problem. And they're going to give you the big finger and say, screw you. 
I don't need to waste my money. I don't need to come see you. I want to know about my program. I want to know about players. I don't know about what's going on. We this is college football. This is not the NFL, and they can't be that tight lipped. So, you know, next guy, think about it. And for the next coach, too, there are numerous Cokie Club events every year. They're in Richmond, Tidewater, all over the place. My advice to you, when there's a recruit night in Richmond, go to it. When there's a recruit night in Tidewater, go to it. Nova, go to it. They always show up for the kickoff dinners. That's fine and dandy. If there's other events, create other events. Keep engaging. Send your assistant coaches there to talk. Send players to talk. That's what's going to get us back. All right. Getting getting those coaches back in the high schools consistently is going to help too. You're damn right it is. So, you know, again, shout out to Eric for saying to that. And, and let's just let's just say it. I think we're, we're not significantly lower than where we were. I don't think we're this far in 2016 or from 2015. I do think we're probably about a step and a half back of where we were. We're, 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 we're not where we were in 2015, but we're not in the dumpster. We're just a little bit down. We're a more attractive program financially than we were in 2015 heading into 16. But probably by every other measurable metric, we are at least a step behind, if not more, in yep. my opinion. Makes sense. So, again, we both kind of agree that we aren't where we were. We're lower. but knowing this fan base knowing the potential donors out there knowing that how they're setting the money up if the next guy gets it rolling good things can happen quick big time all right big time brian let's roll into this saturday pickums brian five and five this week hey what can you do the coin flip gt miami is what burned me of course it did. Of course it's GT that burned <laughs> I went 7-3 this week. Uh, both got Wake wrong. Both got Pitt right. If you put 28 and a half, like I said, sorry you lost your money. I was off by three. Somehow <laughs> Duke scored a heck of a lot more than I thought they would. GT Miami, I, I know you had to be angry at points in that game, Brian, where it's just like, just put these guys away. Yeah, please. And they didn't. Miami nope. won, but it was close, close, close. Um, NC State easily handled FSU. They won by two touchdowns. So that line was – we taught that line smelly, right? Yep, yep. And, you know, next one up, Clemson, uh, not quite the dramatic backdoor cover <laughs> that they had last week, but they they got it late again. <laughs> they did it again. Um we both whiffed on the Kentucky-Tennessee game. Yeah, shout out Hendon Hooker. You took care of business, man. And I know yeah. there was a couple uh, questionable calls and no calls at the end of that one that made yes. it uh, yes. controversial. But, hey, shout out to Hendon Hooker. Great job. Um, Biggest upset of the week, Brian. Told you. Yeah, that you got me on that one too, man. Purdue – Upsetting Michigan State, not only upsetting they they sort of ran away from them. Um, and like again, I, you know, per, Purdue playing a top five team is different than Purdue playing literally any other opponent. Dangerous, very dangerous. 
I uh, I like Jeff Brom. I like Jeff Brom a lot as a coach. Um, doesn't have the best recruiting style, um, but he's also at Purdue. So if you ask me would I like him to be the next head coach, yes, but he's got to make his staff full of ace recruiters. I think he's a great X's and O's guy. But uh, we'll see. His bio, I'm hearing his bio is very high. Probably something Yes, like, like $7 million. Yeah, really high. Um, Washington, Oregon. Washington made it interesting for a long time in that game on Saturday night. Oregon eventually puts them away. Um, you know what? Oregon's just like that team that if it's somebody that's below them, they are similar to us. It's like they turn off certain gears. Yeah. And lucky with them, they have some talent. They can turn it back on and pull away at the end. Um, but, you know. You see uh, Washington let go of half their offensive staff. R- Jimmy Lake ain't playing. Jimmy Lake don't want to get fired. Yeah. Hmm. Jimmy Lake knows what uh, Justin Fuente doesn't. That Exactly. If, if shit goes south, get rid of somebody. It'll buy you a little bit of time and see if you can right the ship. It is. This is his second year. So, you know, after having – I think they were at least solid last year. Um, and he's got a little leeway there. Ole Miss – Yeah, I, th- I think he's underachieving relative to – the keys he was handed and that's that's why people are getting antsy yeah. um and I, I think that that i mean you you're essentially coming off a you know trip to the college football playoff um with the previous regime and now all of a sudden here we are exactly um Ole Miss handles liberty in the hugh freeze bowl um that game was over at halftime i don't i think Ole Miss did nothing but lane went unlaned Lane ran the ball in the second half, cut the game in half, and essentially didn't give Liberty a chance to come back. Um, late nine, they won by 13. I think we said they'd win by four. I think we both said 14. We were one point yep. off on that one. Yep. And the biggest game of the day, we completely screwed up. Completely. Um, but now AM's winning. The other thing was Arkansas beat Mississippi State. Arkansas is going to get ranked this week. Mississippi State's going to get ranked unranked this week. But Alabama's going to have multiple wins over multiple ranked teams. It's just all the way it's going to look. So they're going to continue to climb. Um, any other game that caught your eye this weekend, Brian? Um, trying to think of any any other one that was that I watched that wasn't on this list. I was keeping tabs of most of the ones we had we had. Uh, we had picked, so always. Um, I can't think of anything off the top that really caught my eye. What about you? There's one. Ohio State and uh, Nebraska was was interesting. There's there's one more though. What's that? And my poor cousin from Charleston didn't get to go. Ah, I know where you're heading with this one. <laughs> my his son's an offensive lineman. They had a state playoff game, and he hurt his leg. He was going to go to Florida, South Carolina. And he didn't get to go. And he missed Shane Beamer absolutely walking the dog on Dan Mullen. I like Dan Mullen. I just don't think Dan Mullen's a fit for Florida. Um, Shane gets really his first big win. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people crying. We should have hired Shane. Like, you know, 
Shane would have been in a no-lose situation. Even if he comes back in 10 years, it's still a no-lose situation or a no-win situation for Shane. Hey, what, what do I need to do here? You need to win a national title. Your dad got this close. You need to win it, though. Oh, oh, oh and you need to win, like, 10 conference titles. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, some number one picks. You need to do a couple more of those. What What else? You know, that's it. Yeah. Have so, one of the best uh <laughs> thirty year runs of all time. <laughs> of all time. With a with with in in the credit why why Frank Beamer in the Hall of Fame didn't win a national title and do all this, he never had top ten talent across the board consistently. If Frank Beamer has top ten talent across the board consistently for his run, Frank has three rings. That's my opinion. Brian, anything breaking other than going to have a nice finish to the football game here? I think we're good to go, buddy. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, subscribe on YouTube for the favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you always for listening. Rate, review, give us some feedback. Don't be afraid to message us with ideas or thoughts. And as always, Brian, let's go. Okies.